All right, good morning. How's everybody? Let's try it again. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Yeah, that's good. You got to get your blood moving a little bit because in a weak moment in a sermon, you doze off. I feel really bad. Right? You feel good. I go, and I, have you ever been in church and you just couldn't, you were so tired and you, you, you wanted to stay awake and you couldn't? Have you ever had those moments? I really never knew what that was like because I'm always up here and Typically, I stay awake when I'm up here, and, and we were in church, I don't know, a couple of years ago, and, and I don't know why, I, I think it was a good service, but I was so tired, and I'm just like fighting to keep myself awake, and I'm trying to, you know, bow my head and act like I'm reading scripture and praying and being spiritual, you know, and, and, and I just, I couldn't do it. So if I ever see you in that, in that posture, I will have grace, amen? Is that good enough? I will have grace. Hey, we're, uh, we're in a series called Kingdom Discipleship, and it's based on uh, uh, this new uh, workbook that, uh, that I developed, and we're actually using it as an outline. If you get a copy of it, you can use it as a guide, really, for these messages, because we're doing 10 messages on discipleship with the goal that you will become, uh, in a later event we'll have, you'll become a trainer, an equipper, and you can disciple someone one-on-one or in groups. So the, the intent is that we're very practical on this series. We're not trying to go as deep as we can. We're trying to give you the basic 10 things that we believe every believer needs to walk faithfully before God. And what I, what I discovered was that a lot of people have six or seven of these kind of under their belt. They kind of know that. But uh, there's a few that are missing. And so when we kind of give you the big spectrum of this, it really, really does help you kind of establish yourself in the Word of God. So today we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit is essential for salvation. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you've never been born again. Holy Spirit, if you look in history, there's almost nothing written about the Holy Spirit until the 1900s. There's really not any books out there called the Holy Spirit, and it was a study of the Holy Spirit. Um, And it wasn't until uh, some of the great revivals and awakenings across the globe happened that people really began to talk about the Holy Spirit uh, in a big way. And that was in in Wales in 1904, Azusa Street, uh, also in the early 1900s. And uh, so there's, there's been a movement of the Holy Spirit. And for most Christians, I will say, that the Holy Spirit is kind of like that, uh, that strange relative that shows up at your house. You know, you know what I'm talking about? The relative that shows up, you go, what are we going to do with them, and how long will they stay? And will they do anything bizarre? We better not go to our favorite restaurant, all those kind of things. Well, the Holy Spirit's kind of like that for a lot of believers because they go, I don't know, but there's some things that people do when they get the Holy Spirit on them that's a little bit odd, and we got to watch out, and, and we don't want to cultivate that a little bit too much and, and all those kind of things. But remember, the Holy Spirit is God. And we're going to talk about the Trinity and how the Holy Spirit fits into to, to that big picture. But uh, let me just begin with a couple of scriptures that are not going to be on your screen. It's found in the book of uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 14. And this is how we're going to kind of introduce the Holy Spirit to you before we jump into this uh, uh, full bore. But in John, chapter 14, and verse 15, Jesus says this, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Have you ever said, I love Jesus? I mean, we've all done that, right? If you're a Christian, you say, I love Jesus. Jesus said, behavior never lies. Are you with me on this one? He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. So saying you love Jesus 
isn't the qualifier for loving Jesus. When you say, I love Jesus, Jesus said, then keep my commandments. Do what I tell you to do, because behavior never lies. He goes on to say this in the next verse, verse 16, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he's with you now and he will be in you. So let's just back up and see what he said. So I'm going to leave, Jesus is saying, but I'm going to send the comforter, the Holy Spirit. Now he's been with you, he's with you right now. This is before Jesus has ascended to the Father, before he's been crucified and raised from the dead. So he said he's with you right now, but there's coming a moment when he's going to be inside of you. So when you think about this, I wanna, I wanna just kinda draw a quick picture here of how God designed us and built us. He built us as a tripart being, body, soul, and spirit. Now, if you happen to be a believer, okay, you can relate to anybody on the physical level, right? We can talk to people, we see people, we identify with people. On the soulish level, this is your mind, your will, and your emotions. Can you hear the kids over there? All right, mind, will, and emotions, but in the spiritual realm, if this over here is the Christian, all right, when they try to relate to somebody in the spiritual realm, they can't because the Bible says without the Spirit of God, our human spirit is dead in trespasses and in sins. So the idea is it's like a, t a television set. There's a, there's a signal being transmitted, but if it's not turned on, you're not seeing the picture. So God is transmitting. He's always trying to get our attention and talk to us, but if the power's off, that means the Spirit of God is not in you. You're not seeing what's going on. You're not understanding what's happening. And that's why it says in 1 Corinthians 2.14 that the natural man, that is a person over here, the natural man, not the supernatural man, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit for they're spiritually discerned. That is, they're, they can't function in this realm. So what happens at conversion is your spirit comes alive. And when it comes alive, all of a sudden, you start understanding things you didn't understand before. You see, the Bible is not understood because you're smart or you read it a lot. It's understood because the Holy Spirit in you is helping you to understand and interpret as you go through it. So you can be really smart, you can be really studious, you can really do all those things, but you have to have the teacher, the Holy Spirit, inside of you. So let's go to another one, chapter 14 and, uh, of John again, and 14 and 25, it says, but these I have spoken to you while I am present with you, but the helper, so he's gonna help you, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have spoken unto you. So what's he going to do? He's gonna be your teacher. So I can teach you, and I can speak to your mind, and I can speak to your soul, but only the Holy Spirit can take those truths and apply them to your spirit. So you hear it, you receive it, your, your act of your will, your mind hears it and sees it, you make a decision, your emotions feel it, but ultimately it comes down to it has to be the work of the Spirit in your life to really understand the Word of God. So we talk about that, and let's just go a little bit further, go, go to chapter 16, in verse 13, he says, however, when the spirit of truth, how will I know truth? You don't know truth by praying. 
Prayer was never meant to be a determinant of truth. It's the word of God is the determinant of truth. So what the Spirit of God does, because he reveals truth, he'll take, the Bible says, that which was spoken by Jesus, and he will reveal it to you. Listen to what it says here in John chapter 16 again. He says, the Spirit of truth has come. He will guide you into all truth. And in John 17, 17, it says, thy word is truth. How do I know truth? Truth is the word of God. Have you ever had people say to you, well, I was praying about it, and I just feel like this is what I should do? And you knew it was wrong because it violated the word of God right? So your prayers are a lousy way to figure out truth. They're a great way to get guidance based on the truth. You take the Word of God, the Holy Spirit takes that, and then sends you in a direction that's the right direction, but it's based on truth. Because it's so easy to get emotional or to get very mentally tied up into what you really want, and you're not really finding the will of God at all. You're just kind of doing what you want to do, and you kind of talked long enough that that. You convinced yourself, but you want to operate. The Holy Spirit is there to give you guidance. He's there to give you wisdom. He's there to reveal truth to you through the word of God. It says that he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. Now listen to this. This is really interesting. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine, and he'll declare it to you. So one of the things the Holy Spirit does, not only teaches, but he reveals things that are to come. That falls into two categories. One category is you're reading the Bible and you're, you're seeing that God's doing something in, this, in the future, in eternity. For example, the book of Revelation. You ever read the book of Revelation and go like, I don't know what's going on in here. Anybody had that experience, right? Okay, you're going, I don't know what's going on here, but it sounds like some pretty serious stuff is coming down the road. Well, what the Holy Spirit does as you read it, He's revealing little things to you, little pieces to you, and the parts start to come together. So part of what he does is he reveals what's been written for future events. The second way he reveals things to come is through a gift called prophecy. And that's where God has some people that have this gift, and when they have this gift, they have an ability to kind of see things uh, in your life or in the life of somebody else. And that doesn't mean they're always 100% right because they're still human. But they'll say, you know, has this ever happened? you feel like this? And, and you go, you know why? That's amazing. I was praying about that just recently. God said the same thing. So what's the Holy Spirit doing? He's confirming something in your future through someone else. So that is another way that he reveals things that are to come. All right, got it? Everybody say got it. Okay, now we can go into the sermon. Okay, Biblical discipleship really starts with four goals in mind. I'm gonna put them up here on the screen so we can walk through them. And the first goal that we wanna have in discipleship, discipleship is we wanna establish you in the word of God. What that means is, not that you know the Bible from cover to cover, but you know enough about it to where you can navigate through it and you can find the answers uh, to the basic questions of life. So you go like, I'm not all alone, and who do I call, and I gotta get on the internet to figure out what's going on here. No, you, you've got yourself established in the word of God. The second goal is to establish you in fellowship with other believers. It's really important that you understand that we do best when we're in community. Because, guess what? Your friend next to you, the person maybe you haven't even met yet, they might be the tool to help you refine your Christian life. That's why the Bible says a steel sharpens steel, so one man sharpens another man. We need each other, and we're called the body of Christ, right? Can you imagine you get up in the morning and the legs go, I ain't going today. I'm staying home, tired of all of this. 
I, I'm just giving it up. You know, now, now, that would never happen to my wife. She's always exercising. She walks like five miles a day, and I just cheer her on. I'm the cheerleader. She's the athlete. And uh, it works out really, really good that way. It was kind of funny. I was pulling in today, and I see Sarah Salsas. Where are you at, Sarah? I see Sarah, and she's doing lunges across the parking lot. Who thinks of doing that? You know, I look over at my wife. She's doing toe rises while she's combing her hair. I get, this is silly. Don't do this stuff. You, you know, you, you only get so many heartbeats. If you burn them all up doing that kind of stuff, you're going to die early. <laughs> Have you ever thought of it like that? No, okay. All right, so anyway, let me, let's just move on here. Third one, establishing the structure of the local church. It's really important that we know that God established the church for a reason. A lot of people say, well, I'm a Christian. I'm kind of a Lone Ranger Christian, and I kind of I worship God in my own way. Well, that, you didn't get that out of the Bible. So you violated uh, goal number one because goal number one tells you you're established in the Word of God. Jesus said, I died to establish the church. It is the body. It is the body of Christ. And you see, everything that God teaches in the Bible has application in our life. For example, did you know every great movie is based on the Bible? Every great movie is based on the Bible. I don't believe that. I said, okay, let me show you. All right, number one, what do you have in every great movie? You have a good guy, you have a bad guy, and you have a girl. Am I wrong? Every great movie has those three things. Now, the bad guy, he wants to get the good guy, but he's going to do it through the girl, right? So he's going to put the girl in jeopardy every chance he gets. The good guy is ultimately, we know, going to win. But we also know that every bad guy can only die three times. If he dies four times, Hollywood figured out if he dies four times, it becomes a little bit corny. But he can come back at least three times and try to get the girl again. Now, why is that based on the Bible? Because God is the good guy, Satan is the bad guy, and the church is the girl. Are you with me on this? So what Satan tries to do is he tries to attack the good guy, God, through the girl, the church, that's why you're under attack. Guess what? The bad guy always comes back three times. Did you know in, in Scripture that Satan comes back, and on the third time he's done, it's the final judgment? There's three things. Everything fits in. Now you know everything you need to know about movies. No good guy, bad guy, and girl, it's a bad movie. Because you see, what God does is God weaves into culture and into people's mind things that they don't even know what's going on. Sometimes things come out in movies that, that have a message that they never intended in Hollywood to have. And all of a sudden, people are going, I was moved too, and, then, and they're moved closer to God by something that nobody expected. Guess what? That is how the Holy Spirit works. Talk about sneaky. We talk about Jehovah sneaky. I'm telling you, God is sneaky. You can be minding your own business. All of a sudden, you get zapped by God. You go, what happened here, God. I didn't want to do this. I didn't want to go to church. I didn't want to get serious with God. I didn't want to get saved. I didn't, I didn't, yeah, yeah, but God had a plan. See, that's a great thing about it is God has plans for you that you don't even know about. If he revealed them to you, you try to fight against them, so he just sneaks up on you. Can you say amen? All right, so let's go to the last goal here, and that is to establish the believer in a ministry of the word. Now, that sounds like goal number one, but it's really quite different. Number one is to establish you in the Word of God. Number four is to establish you in a ministry of the Word. Now, we have all different ways for you to serve in this church, but ultimately, it would be great if every single person here had a ministry of the Word of God. 
so that you can take the word of God and you can teach other people the word of God. And so what we're going to do is we get a little bit uh, closer to the end of this series, we're gonna have some training sessions where we're gonna teach you how to disciple someone else. And that's, that can be one-on-one or in a small group. But the, you say, well, I could never do that. Well, if you were established in the word of God, if you already went through the material and you didn't have to write it, and you found somebody that knew less than you, you could do it. See, that's the goal of discipleship. Find somebody who knows less than you and teach them what you know. And if they start catching up, bail out on them quick, right? But you see, the idea is I've got something inside of me. I need to get that out of me. And if I have a ministry of the word, it can be really, really powerful in my life. Let's talk about the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is God. Let's say that together. The Holy Spirit is God. He's not the unwelcome relative. He's never to be described as an it. He's always he. He's a person. He actually has emotions. Do you know you can grieve the Holy Spirit? Now think about that. You ever made your mother cry? Anybody ever made their mother cry? Oh, like the worst experience of your life, right? You'd rather them beat you up. Do not cry. Moms, your secret weapon. When the kids start to rebel, just start crying. I don't know what I'm gonna do. I poured my whole life into you. I've prayed for you every day since I changed your diaper. It's true. You can grieve the Holy Spirit by your acts of rebellion and disobedience. You can also make him happy by walking faithfully with him. You know, the Holy Spirit's my friend. I, I met him when I got saved. And he's taken me on this great journey of life. And sometimes he's super excited about what I'm doing. Sometimes he's disappointed with me. Disappointed only in the sense that he wants me to bring back to the fullness of how to walk with him. Not in the sense of, I don't like you anymore, but I want the best for you. Let me give you a scripture, 1 John 5, 7. There are three that bear witness in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Let me show you a diagram here. This diagram kind of helps. Remember, any metaphor that we use, any analogy that we use, it's always gonna break down a little bit, but I think this will help. When you look at it, you notice that the Son is not the Father, the Father is not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not the Son. But if you see, God is one being, but three persons. And God is uh, the Father, God is the Holy Spirit, God is the Son. So when we speak about the three persons of the Trinity, we're talking about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. But these three are one. You say, well, I don't understand that. I don't either. How does it feel to all be on the same page on at least one topic? I always like to say, if you, un- if you can understand God, especially the complex things of God, then God is, the God we serve is no bigger than our brain. We're all in problems there, right, amen? Even the brightest among us, you go, I want a God with a bigger brain than that guy. So God is complex, mysterious, and supernatural, and that's why he says, hey, my ways are not your ways. You do it a certain way, but you know, I got a different way of getting things done. Trust me on this one, it's gonna be okay. My ways are not your ways, and my ways, guess what, are past finding out. There's some things you go, I don't get it, but I love him and I serve him, and he worked it out, and thank Jesus for that one, amen? All right, so let's keep moving here, and we got a lot to cover. The Holy Spirit is essential for salvation. You can't come into the kingdom of God without the Holy Spirit. In other words, you can't be a Christian and not have the Holy Spirit. So what happens at conversion The Holy Spirit comes to indwell your spirit. That's what makes you a Christian. 
You're not a Christian because you go to church. You're not a Christian because you take uh, the Lord's Supper or, or participate in baptism or any other ritual or rite. You're, you're saved because the Holy Spirit came into you. And what happens is the Holy Spirit, it says he draws us in. Jesus said, unless a man is drawn, he cannot come into the kingdom of God. So the Spirit of God draws you in, and all of a sudden you go like, I just felt this irresistible moving toward God, and, and I wanted to know him, and, 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 and it was just like this ultimate experience of meeting God. Well, that was the work of the Spirit of God. That's what he does. Let me take you to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. It says, in him, in him, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. So how did you get saved? You had to have truth first, and the truth was the gospel. The word gospel literally means good news. The good news is what's the good news? That Jesus died, buried, and rose from the dead. That's the good news. How did you know that? Because of truth revealed in Scripture. And so the truth was revealed to you, it says here, and the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, in whom you have all, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. So what happened when you came to faith in Christ God put his seal on you. This is like the signet ring of a king. So when God put his seal on you, he said, you're mine and you will always be mine. That's why it says when the Spirit of God comes in you, he abides forever. Once you're saved, you're always saved. Now you say, yeah, but I knew this guy that said he was a Christian and then he denied Christ, he went off and did his own thing. How do you explain that? He was never saved. He was never saved. Yeah, but he did this, and he preached, and he taught, and I don't care. I don't care. The Bible says that that can't, is impossible. I don't care what that guy had as evidence in his life. I go with truth. Truth always trumps experience. Are you with me on this one? If you let experience trump truth, you're going to be in trouble your whole life. Like one guy said in the South, he who fizzles at the finish had his flaw in his faith from the first. I know you wanted it again. He who fizzles at the finish had a flaw in his faith from the first. So you're sealed, it says, with the Holy Spirit of promise. What promise? Well, God made a promise in the Old Testament. I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh. That was fulfilled in Acts chapter two. So he said, there's a spirit of promise. Now I got the spirit in me, spirit of promise. When I got the spirit of promise, guess what? God sealed that and said, you're now mine. You're now mine. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance? Did you know that you're guaranteed an inheritance? Every one of you? That's not based on rewards here. That's based on position within the family of God. So what happens is I get saved on planet Earth. I live my life. I pass from this life into the next life. I have the guarantee that I'm gonna stand before God as his son, his daughter, and I have a guarantee of an inheritance. What's the inheritance? We're joint heirs with Christ. Heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. You realize that's the scripture. So God says, I, I'm an heir of Christ. What's Christ gonna get in eternity? Same thing I am. Are you with me? You're not getting the bad gift from the relative. I had an uncle that gave me white tube socks every Christmas. Never got better. Cheapo. Guy had a ton of money. I was his only, I was his only nephew. I get tube socks. Bad relative. If you're giving white tube socks and that's it, you're bad. Shame on you. All right, now, 
you get to heaven. God says, no, everything that Christ gets an inheritance, you get. Well, how can you do that? Because you're a son of God. Are you with me on this one? When, when you have children, if you adopt kids into your family, one of the things you do is you, you agree that they're going to get the same inheritance. They're going to be recipients of everything your, your biological kids have. Am I right, Ted? Okay, so law says you do that. God says, no, you didn't, get, you didn't come up with that cool idea. I had that idea. So when you get there, you say, well, I was born again into the family of God, then you're a recipient of everything I have for my children for, for all eternity, and you are heirs of God, joint heirs with Jesus Christ, and there is nothing I withhold from my kids. Amen? You ought to put your hands together for that. I mean, that's, that's just a great biblical truth. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13, look at this one. For by one spirit, we are all baptized into one body. All right, so watch what happens here. It says, now there's, when we think of baptism, we typically think of water baptism. And water baptism is a picture of what God does in the spiritual realm. So when Jesus died on the cross, he died, he was buried, and he rose from the dead. So Romans chapter six says that we are, uh, we are buried with him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised from the dead, so we walk in newness of life. So what happens in baptism, when you believe in Jesus Christ, you're saying, I identify with his death, I identify with his burial, and I identify with his resurrection. By his death, my sins were removed. By his life, new life was given unto me. So had Jesus just died on the cross and not risen, my sins would have been taken care of, but there's no new life to give me. Death, burial, and resurrection. So when you baptize somebody in water, you're saying, that happened to me in the spiritual realm. That's what you're saying. And I'm doing it because of the command of God. Now, the beautiful thing about this doctrine of the Holy Spirit we're talking about here is it just, there's no limit to the depths of it. For example, we are supposed to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. What does that mean? That means being under the control of the Spirit of God to where he influences my behavior. The problem is with Christians is they get filled up and then they leak. Are you with me on that one? Hey, I'm feeling really good, and then all of a sudden something happens, and I go, ah, and I get in the flesh, I get all mad. What happened? I leaked. So I have to, what, how many fillings do I need to have? As many as I need to keep me full all day long. Amen? And then guess what? Then the Holy Spirit will do the strange relative thing. Remember the strange relative thing? Don't take them to dinner, and they don't know what they're going to do. Holy Spirit will do something strange. You go, I don't understand the work of the Holy Spirit sometimes. I don't either. I was sitting in a chair across from Jim Caviezel, the, uh, from the Passion of Christ, and I was just so amazed at his commitment to Christ. Not to himself, but to Christ. Some of you will get that in a week. Uh, but I was so, I was just like amazed, and this guy's such an anomaly. You know, it's like, I said, Jim, how did you come to faith in Christ? He said, well, it was really through the influence of Billy Graham and Catherine Coleman. If you don't know who those two people are, I mean, check them out. There, there's nothing to, that could be any further from the, you know, apart in terms of everything than those two. And then he's a practicing Roman Catholic. And I go, it's just, I'm all mixed up here, Jim. But he really loves God, and I'm sitting there talking to him. You know how when you talk to yourself and you talk to your spirit man, you know, you talk like you're talking to God, and, and, uh, and I remember saying, God, I just think he's, I think he loves Jesus more than I do. This guy's so committed and then I heard the Spirit of God say, but do you want to love me more? Do you want to love me like that? Now, I'm the pastor. 
I'm supposed to love Jesus. I get paid to love Jesus. You know what I mean? (laughs) But I realized there was a deficiency in my life in that moment. And I said, God, I want to. And I'm sitting there, and, and, I, and I'm about at this angle, and all of a sudden, I felt this, you know, the only thing I can say, it was just this force that came on the right side of me, and I just felt, I don't know whether it was a, an anointing or a baptism of the Spirit, what it was, but he just like, bam. And then I felt like my life was just spinning in a circle like this, like, you know, when you spin around, like as a kid, you just spin around in a circle, get yourself dizzy. And to this day, that experience still happens to me on a daily basis. What was that? I don't know, but I know I was different from that point on. That's all I know. It's not the experience for everybody. I don't know where that came from, what God was up to, but that's sometimes the Holy Spirit is just like that. Enjoy it. Enjoy what God wants to do in your life. If it gets too weird, we'll haul you out. Don't worry. Amen? Come on now. This is supposed to be fun. All right. So community is really important. I'm going to show you a quick video here about community, and uh, it's uh, about our link community groups, and I just want you to kind of get a feel for what we're doing, because we believe that you need to be in the body of Christ connected with one another. So let's watch the screens. Just reaching the face. Are you recording? Yeah. I can't look away for half a second. You can? So ready? No. Okay. Hi, I'm Simon Taylor and I lead a link group here at Influence Church. One of the reasons I wanted to start a link group is because I believe that the Christian life is meant to be a life lived in community. And what better way to do that than lead a group and create an environment where others can come and join and be a part of that. And so it's been a really fun journey. I really enjoy it. And when I decided what group I wanted to lead, I was thinking about what would be something that's fun for me that I would get excited about going to. And so I thought about a biking group because I wanted to get into it. And I was riding on a 35 year old bike for eight months, trying to keep up with everyone. But it was a lot of fun and it didn't matter because it was just about getting out there and doing it and doing it with other people. One of the challenges that we can have as Christians is that from time to time we can isolate ourselves. It can be in our comfort zone. And I know that I've done that over the years at different points. And so I would really encourage you, if you're in that place where maybe you're kind of coming in and going out or you haven't fully gotten connected, put yourself out there. I think you're really going to enjoy it. You won't regret being able to connect with other people and establish relationships. And who knows, maybe your best friend is sitting two rows in front of you and you just haven't met them yet. So I'd really encourage you to do it. Put yourself out there, get out of your comfort zone. It's gonna be great. So, you know, just being in community is so powerful. And I, and I want you, you don't have to do the Christian life alone. In fact, you really don't do it very well. You do it better with other people. So I just want to encourage you that. You know, the Holy Spirit also brings life. Whenever the Holy Spirit says there's life, when the Spirit of God is in you and you're walking in the fullness of God, you feel alive. You know, when, you, when you're not, you're kind of like, you're walking away from God, there's no life. You just go like, yeah, you just, there's nothing happening there. John chapter 16, let me take you to verse 7. Jesus said, it's to your advantage that I go away. How many of you have ever said or thought this? 
I would love to have been alive when Jesus walked on the earth. Man, I've said that a million times, to see him walk on water and, and do healings and all this cool stuff. But Jesus said, actually, it's better if I go away. Because guess what? What I've done in my flesh, you're going to do in your flesh. Greater works than these shall you do because I go to be with the Father. So instead of having Jesus isolated to one small region of the world, Jesus is scattered throughout the world. And it is incumbent upon us, it's, it's mandated to us that we are to carry out this great commission. We are to go about praying and, and asking for healing, asking for miracles. We're, we're to bring people to faith in Christ. We are multiplied Jesus all around the world, amen? Amen, and that's what God has called us to do. So it goes on to say, for if I do not go away, the helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. So I have to go for him to come, but if I depart, I will send him to you, and when he comes, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. So the Holy Spirit, what does he do? He comes and he says, you know what? Things aren't right with you. I fall short. You know what sin is? It's just falling short of God's glory, missing the mark of what God had for you. You know what the mark is? Perfection. How many have hit that one, right? If you have, you know, you're dismissed. Don't you ever have to come back? Okay, because this is not that place, all right? So, so what God says is, my law is like a mirror. You ever looked in the mirror? You look in the mirror and you go, that's what I look like. Good, bad, or ugly, that's it, right? Now, you go out through the day, you don't know what happens to you. You go out to, to lunch, you might have a, a hunk of food hanging on your face all day long. Am I right? And, you know, then everybody's going, you know, I don't want to tell them. They've got a big hunk of food hanging on their face, you know, and then you go home, you go, i got... I've met with five people today. I've got food hanging on my face. You don't know what happened. The mirror, the mirror says, this is what you look like. That's what the Word of God is. When I look in the Word of God, I go, this is what's true. This is what I look like. This is what I need to change. When I take the Word of God, put it away from me, and I start living on my own life, I think I'm pretty good, and I self-justify all my behavior. So I gotta keep the Word ever-present before me all the time so I know what God expects in my life. That's why it says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. He said, not only of sin, but of righteousness. You see, how many of you have ever said, you know, I know I could do better, right? Haven't we done that? That's what the Holy Spirit does. He goes, in your strength, you may, may not have all of that, but in me, with me and you, we can do this. You can be a better person because whatever you're short on, I got plenty of, Amen. And said, so if sin, righteousness, and coming, judgment. You see, everybody knows that bad guys should all pay for what they do. Am I right? Okay. Guess how many bad guys in this room? Everybody. Guess what? Jesus paid the price for you. But ultimately, no, Satan should pay for what he does, right? And so there's, there's built into us by design that there is a final judgment of mankind, and that, that people who do horrible things should not get, get away with that unless they're under the blood of Christ. We, we believe that. That's just woven into us. The Holy Spirit, when he comes, he'll convict the world of sin, of the need for righteousness, and the coming judgment. And those things are just part of what the Holy Spirit of God does. Now, let's talk about the difference between conviction and guilt. So conviction is God's way of getting us on a pathway for righteousness, Conviction is kind of a word that we as Christians understand. Like, I feel really bad, or I feel really convicted about that. I shouldn't have said that, shouldn't have done that. But you see, conviction always the idea is, I wanna get you back on the right path 
so that you have a better life. But the other word is guilt. Now, guilt is always brings about those feelings of unworthiness. So whenever somebody wants to make you feel guilty, they're going like, you're, you're just not worth anything. You're, and, and guess what? Satan does that really well. And if he can keep you down there unworthy, you get to the place where you go, well, what difference does it really make? I've done so much wrong. God can't forgive me. God doesn't love me and all of that. That's a complete lie because remember, you're not your own. You were bought with a price. God owns you. You are the temple of the living God. You see, when, when the Holy Spirit's in you, guess what? Where's the Holy Spirit on earth? He's in you. So you're the temple. This building is not the temple. You're the temple. Inside of you is the Holy Spirit. Everywhere you go, you are the moving, breathing temple of God. You're an RV, a religious vehicle. Amen? And so where's the Holy Spirit? There he goes. There she goes. There's the Holy Spirit. And so what happens is when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're just kind of oozing the life of God everywhere you go. And so when people encounter you, go, man, I had an encounter with God. Really, where was it? It was in that guy and that girl over there. They were just walking with God in such a powerful way I couldn't get away from it. But you see, guilt is something that doesn't work. It doesn't work in the Christian world. I like to call it the gift that keeps on giving. If I feel guilty, I can't do anything else but make you feel guilty. And there's some people that are experts. They got a PhD in guilt, right? They, they know everything about it. But let me show you the origin of it. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10 and 11. John said, I heard a loud voice in heaven. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but in Revelation, they're always, yell, they're always yelling. Everybody's loud in heaven. Yeah, loud voice. No soft voices in heaven? No, no soft voices. Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of our Christ have come. So John's looking ahead and saying, everything that we've been waiting for is now a reality. And the power of his Christ has come. Why? The accuser of the brethren who accused them before God day and night has been cast down. So who's the ultimate accuser of you in your life? It's Satan. And you'll hear things like, you're not worthy. You shouldn't have done that. You're not a real Christian. You're not a good Christian. You know, why even pray? God doesn't love you and all those kind of things. Those do not come from God. And so day and night, Satan never stops. And he just said that he comes before God. Isn't that unusual? You remember the book of Job? It says that there came a, a day when the sons of God, that is the angels, came to appear before God and Satan was there also. And Satan, uh, and all of a sudden, he says, hey, nobody really serves you for nothing. And God says, have you considered my servant Job? By the way, you never want God name dropping to Satan, right? Have you considered my servant Job? He turns away from evil. He says, he's just doing that because you, you take care of him. He says, I'll tell you what, Satan, you go ahead and do anything you want. You just can't kill him. Don't want to hear that from God either. So what happens? You, you look at it and you go, well, he was such a righteous man, a good man, and all this bad stuff happened. It says he was the most righteous man in the east. You know where the east was? That was Sodom and Gomorrah. You know who he lived at the same time with? Abraham. Abraham was a contemporary of him. Abraham was a man of faith, walked in righteousness, right? He wasn't the most righteous man on planet Earth. He was the most righteous man in an evil part of the world. On one occasion, his wife says, why don't you just curse God and die? He said, shall we receive good from God and not evil? You speak as a foolish woman speaks. But the real, the real key comes in chapter 42 when uh, all of a sudden it says that Job repented. He says, I've heard of you with the hearing of the ear. That is, I heard about you. 
but now I know you. Now my eye sees you. See, I believe Job came to faith, the true faith in God in the 42nd chapter, and he wasn't saved in the chapter one. But you see, then all of his fortune, he'd lost all of his fortune, but it says that he didn't have it restored when he believed. It says he had it restored when he prayed for his friends. He had bitterness in his heart toward his friends. See, there's things in your life that are keeping you from the blessing. And it might be something as simple as praying for somebody who's done you wrong. You think you're controlling them, they're controlling you. Not only are they controlling you, they're controlling your destiny and the blessings of God in your life. Release, release everything that you're holding back. And then you kill the work of the accuser in your life. It says he accuses day and night. He's been cast down, and they overcame him by three things, the blood of the lamb. You know why? You know the only thing that makes you righteous before God is the blood of the lamb? You're not, you're not righteous apart from him. You're not a good Christian apart from the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ cleanses you from all sin. So I come up with the accuser says, you're guilty, you're not a good Christian. Shut up. I'm under the blood. How many times he comes back? he comes back as often as you let him. Be quiet, I'm under the blood. The blood of the lamb. And then it says, secondly, by the word of their testimony. You know what that is? You got something to say about what God's doing in your life. If you have nothing to say, you can say, you know, this is a day God's made. I'm just gonna rejoice in it. Good, bad, or ugly, I'm rejoicing in the day that God has made. If you got more to say than that, say it. The word of your testimony. And then third, you did not love your life even unto death. What that means is that I would rather die than deny Jesus. I would rather die than deny Jesus. I'm gonna stand for Jesus even when it's uncomfortable. And if I fail to give a, a testimony when opportunity comes, I'm gonna ask forgiveness and I'm gonna keep moving forward, but I'm not gonna fall into guilt and condemnation. Amen? Amen. Okay, the Holy, Holy Spirit refines your character. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you and who you have from God. You're the temple. You. All these temples everywhere who you have, and you're from God. Look at Galatians chapter five, the fruit of the Spirit. Do you notice this is that, that the fruit of the Spirit is singular, it's not plural. It's not talking about quality. Some people read these and go, I got a little bit of love, a little bit of patience, not much long suffering. No, those are your characteristics. It says the fruit of the Spirit, that is, what is he like? He's like all nine of these. When the Holy Spirit is in you, guess what? You have all nine of those. When, he's not, when you not walk in the fullness of God, guess what? You don't have any of those. If you're patient, you didn't get it from him if you're not walking in the Spirit. It's your own patience, your own kindness, your own, and some people are kinder than others. Some people are more patient than others. This is talking about the supernatural stuff that you don't have apart from him. And by the way, there's only two classes of Christians in the Bible. You know what they are? Spiritual and carnal. I'm either walking in the Spirit or I'm walking in my flesh. There's nothing in between. We, we use terms like this. Well, he's a, he's a pretty good Christian. And we got this moving scale. No, you're either walking the Spirit or you're not. So you walk up to somebody, you feel the Spirit today? Well, I don't think so. Well, then you're carnal. No, don't say that, please. Principle, jot this down. He supplies what he requires. 
He supplies what he requires. He requires you to walk in righteousness. He supplies righteousness. He requires you to love, be patient, long-suffering, kindness, all those things. He supplies what he requires. And you see, there's something inside of all of us that longs to do the impossible, right? That's why we love superhero movies. I mean, I don't know whether you're like Batman, Spider-Man, why do kids love that? Because they were designed to do the impossible, and it's only in adulthood we take that out of them. You see, God put in us, he said, I have called you sons of the living God. I've called you daughters of the king of kings. I've called you to do great exploits. I've called you to be the head and not the tail. I've called you to win, not to lose. And inside of you, all that stuff is always in there, and it's always ready to come out, but all the accusation from the, from the evil one kills it in us, and we stop believing who we are and what we can do as we walk in the power of God. God wants to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all you could ever ask or think. Think of the greatest thing that you could do. Think of the greatest thing you could think, the greatest thing you could believe. And God says, I want to do more than that, but you keep limiting me. Stop limiting me. Release me in your spirit, amen? Release me in your life. Let's all stand together. Would you just give God a, a, just a, an applause for who he is, a great God that he is, amen? I want to just pray for you right now. I want to ask you to make this commitment to God, a commitment of if you're a Christian, you say, I, without a shadow of a doubt, Pastor, I know I'm a believer. Would you allow him to fill you and guide you in your life? And it's a daily activity. Sometimes you've got to renew that, that three or four times a day, but you got to, it's a daily activity to walk with the Spirit of God. If you're not a believer and you have doubts in your heart, would you receive him right now into your heart? So let's bow our heads and I'm gonna pray. Father, um, for those who may not be sure if they're a believer or not, you can pray a prayer like this one. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you died on a cross. I believe that you were buried and rose from the dead to give me eternal life. You promised in your word, which is truth, that if I called in your name, I would be saved. So save me now, Lord Jesus. Come into my heart right now, Lord Jesus. Write my name in the book of life. Give me the gift of salvation. Give me the gift of the Holy Spirit that I might be truly be your child. If that was your prayer, you can thank him right where you stand or sit. Just thank him that he did exactly what he said. Amen? He did that for you. If you're a Christian, you say, just would you just recommit yourself right now? God, I just want to recommit your, myself to you. I want to live for you. I want to honor you. I want to serve you. I want to do all those things for you, God. Just give it to him. Just give it to him right now.